Did you know that you and I will spend, on average, 150,000 hours of our lives working? That's over 40% of our waking hours, and it's only getting worse. In 1973, the average American worked 40 hours per week. 35 years later, in 2018, the average American works 54 hours per week. If you're a supervisor, that average goes up to over 60 hours per week. And if you're in upper-level management, the average inflates to over 70 hours per week. What that means is that for many of us who are still in the workforce, we will spend more time working this coming week than we will doing any other single activity, including sleeping. Work dominates our lives. This morning, as we continue our series from Proverbs, Seeking God's Wisdom, let's take a look at Seeking God's Wisdom on work. Let's discover some of God's wisdom through Solomon about our jobs, our occupations, our careers. And even though many of you today are retired, don't think you're off the hook on this one, because all these principles that we will be studying and applying from Proverbs have to do with what I would call our work ethic overall. Proverbs has to do with not only working as an employee, but let's say working as a volunteer even somewhere. Now to get us jump started... Notice what Solomon writes in Proverbs 16 and verse 3. Have your Bible open there. Follow along. It says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. Now here's how some other versions or uh, paraphrases render this same verse. The voice. Whatever you do, do it as a service to Him, and He will guarantee your success. The New Life Testament says, Trust your work to the Lord and your plans will work out well. The message, put God in charge of all you do and then what you've planned will take place. The Living Bible, commit your work to the Lord, then it will succeed. The Expanded Bible, commit all your labors to the Lord and whatever you do will succeed. Now, I believe that's what all of us desire, to succeed at whatever it is we do, to experience success in the workplace, to know that all of our labors will be blessed by God. Well, Solomon has some sound ethical work principles to share with us. As we're seeking God's wisdom on work, let's look at both the negative and the positive. Some things not to do, how to fail at work, and some things to do, how to succeed at work. Let's begin with how to fail at work. What are some things we definitely should not do on the job? <laughs> how can we almost guarantee that we will fail as an employee or perhaps even a volunteer? Solomon identifies at least five ways to fail here in the book of Proverbs, beginning with number one, and it's number one for a reason, by being lazy. By being lazy. Sluggard is the word that Solomon likes to use in the book of 
Proverbs. Sluggard, he uses the word 14 times throughout the book. And among these are two longer passages where he expands on a poor work ethic in this regard. In fact, let's look these up together. Would you do that with me? I love to hear the sound of rustling pages out there. So rustle your pages and turn over to Proverbs chapter 6. Would you do that? Proverbs chapter 6, and we will look at verses 6 through 11. Proverbs 6, we pick it up with verse 6. Solomon says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. There's another passage I want us to look at, and that's over in Proverbs chapter 24. So flip over to that one, would you, real quick? Proverbs chapter 24, and we're going to look at verses 30 through the end of the chapter. Verse 34. Again, about being lazy, the sluggard. Proverbs 24, we pick it up with verse 30. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. The stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Now, there are some other verses, many of them actually, but I just chose a few about laziness in the book of Proverbs. For instance, in Proverbs 15 verse 19, it says, The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns. Get that picture in your head. Proverbs 19, verse 15, a lazy man sleeps soundly, but goes hungry. Proverbs 26, verse 15, some of us are so lazy that we won't lift a hand to feed ourselves. Hmm. Enough said. You want to know how to fail at work first by being lazy. Number two, by chasing fantasies. By chasing fantasies. Let's read uh, Proverbs 12 and verse 11 out loud together. Would you read this with me? He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies lacks judgment. Now, Proverbs 28 verse 19 is very similar. It puts it this way. He who works his land will have abundant food, but the one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Some people spend their entire life chasing fantasies. Get-rich-quick schemes, wild money-making ideas, high-risk investments, the latest work-from-home business, gambling, the lottery, whatever. And boy, do they ever love to talk about what is their latest and greatest idea. And they talk about their latest and greatest idea. And they talk about their latest and greatest idea. Proverbs 14 verse 23 warns, Work brings profit, talk brings poverty. So you want to know how to fail at work. Second, by chasing fantasies. Number three, by lacking dependability. 
by lacking dependability. I mean, nothing irritates an employer more than an employee who cannot be trusted to be reliable. Missing deadlines, habitual tardiness, not following through on assignments, frequent absenteeism, such irresponsibilities are success killers. Listen to these two Proverbs. Proverbs 10, verse 26. An irresponsible fellow is a pain to his employers like smoke in their eyes or vinegar that sets the teeth on edge. Proverbs 26, verse 10 says, it's not smarter to shoot arrows at every passerby than it is to hire a bunch of worthless nobodies. (laughs) Dependability. You want to know how to fail at work? Third, by lacking dependability. Number four, by making excuses. By making excuses. That's closely tied to number three, I guess. When an employee is confronted for lacking dependability, often he or she will come up with all kinds of excuses to justify their irresponsibility. Here's what Solomon wrote on the matter. Proverbs 22, verse 13. The lazy man is full of excuses. I can't go to work, he says. If I go outside, I might meet a lion in the street and be killed. And you're supposed to laugh at that because this is ridiculous of an excuse as it sounds like it is. In fact, he uses it again in Proverbs 26, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Reader's Digest printed an article listing the 34 most ridiculous excuses people actually use to get out of work. (laughs) I'm not going to read all of them to you, just a few of them. An employee called in sick because he said he mistakenly ate the cat food instead of the tuna. And so he was deathly ill. (laughs) Another employee on his lunch break got stuck in the blood pressure machine at the store and couldn't get out. (laughs) Yet another employee called to tell her boss that she'd accidentally got on a plane to Hawaii. Of all places. Yeah. (laughs) Then there was the employee who had to attend the funeral of his wife's cousin's pet because he was, after all, the uncle and an honorary pallbearer. Or how about the employee who woke up in a good mood and then called in and said he wasn't going to go to work because he didn't want to run it. (laughs) Actually happened. Or the employee who had to stay home and mow the lawn in order to avoid a lawsuit from the homeowners association. (laughs) And last but not least, I'll end with this one. There was the employee who called to tell her boss that she wouldn't be in because the police were in the process of raiding her home on a drug bust. (laughs) That was real intelligent, huh? Now, believe me, I couldn't make those up. Those are actual excuses. (laughs) So do you want to know how to fail at work? Fourth, by making excuses. Number five, by refusing correction. By refusing correction. Let me ask you, how do you respond 
to constructive criticism and confrontation. When your job performance is reviewed, how do you react to that? If you're rebuked or corrected for some shortcoming, then how do you receive that rebuke? Solomon addressed this issue head on. Proverbs 12 verse 1. To accept correction is wise, to reject it is stupid. Proverbs 13 verse 18. Let's read this one out loud together. If you refuse criticism, you will end in poverty and disgrace. Enough said. You want to know how to fail at work fifth by refusing correction. Five things then that will destroy a good work ethic that will almost guarantee failure on the job. Being lazy, chasing fantasies, lacking dependability, making excuses, and refusing correction. Now, of course, we do not want to fail at work. We want to succeed. And so let's flip it over on the other side. We want to have a solid, good work ethic. And so let's look at how to succeed at Work. What are some things we definitely should do on the job? How can we virtually guarantee that we will be successful either as an employee or for some of you as a volunteer, perhaps? Solomon offers at least these five suggestions. Number one is by being diligent. By being diligent. Now, you'll recognize right away that's the opposite of being lazy, right? Earlier we looked up and read through Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. Notice again what Solomon wrote in verses 30 and 32. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. Yeah, we ought to learn from the mistakes of others. Just take a look around and see those who have not done so well because they're lazy. And let's learn not to follow in their footsteps. We must remember that God Himself established the work ethic. In the very beginning, He worked for six days in creating the world. Then He rested on the seventh day. And later, He reinforced this timeless principle for us to follow. He he said in Exodus 26 days, you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Now again, we don't celebrate the Sabbath as a day of worship. We worship on the first day of the week, the day the Lord rose from the dead. There's a reason why we do that. But the principle of Sabbath is still a valid principle, a timeless principle. Six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. Six days of work, one day of rest. Or I sometimes call it the 511 principle. Five days working on your job, one day working at your house and one day of rest and worship. It's a timeless ethic. And the truth is, God designed us to work and to enjoy the rewards of our diligence. Read this one, uh, Proverbs 10, verse 4. Let's read it out loud together. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. That's a standard, I mean, we ought to learn that one. That's a good one to memorize. (laughs) Proverbs 13, verse 14, hard work will reward you with more than enough. Now, the same principle of diligence, hard work, is reinforced again and again in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul has some very stern warnings for those who refuse to work in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Here's a sampling of what he wrote. He says, We command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle. We gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. 
We hear that some among you are idle. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. Simply put, the Bible teaches this principle of diligence over and over and over again. So you want to know how to succeed at work first by being diligent. Number two, by serving God. By serving God. At the very beginning of our lesson today, we read Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and He will establish your plans. The key phrase there, of course, is commit to the Lord. So let me ask you, for whom do you work? Who is your boss? Who is your supervisor? To whom are you responsible for your job performance? Now before you answer too quickly, I want you to take note of what it says in Colossians 3 verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Remember that the Lord will reward you for Christ is the real master you serve. Boy, we need to remind ourselves of that because sometimes we lose that focus. Ask, you know, who do you work for? And you're quick to name a company that you work for. You ask, who's your boss? You're quick to name a person who's your supervisor. And as Christ followers, we've got to go beyond that. (laughs) As Christ followers, we've got to realize that ultimately we are accountable to God for our work performance. And it is ultimately Him that we work for. (laughs) I love it when I fill out applications and it asks where I work and I can put down, you know, the church and then it says, who's your supervisor? (laughs) I love to mess with people on that. I put God. Every time I put God, you know, and, and sometimes they don't even notice it. Other times I'll get questioned on it. God? Well, yeah, ultimately that is who everybody works for. It's an opportunity for us to share, perhaps. Remember we saw a little video clip at the beginning that work and worship really go together, that your work is your worship, you know? That you're giving glory to God as you work. Essentially, there are three motivations for work. I put them there in your notes. You notice the first one's external. That's your paycheck or your reward for working. The second one's internal. That's a sense of accomplishment or satisfaction for the job that you have done. But I think the most important one is the third one, and that's the eternal motivation. That is, we work for the Lord. We work to give glory and honor to Him. And may we never, ever lose sight of that motivation. So you want to know how to succeed at work, second, by serving God. Number three, by sharpening skills. By sharpening skills. Solomon also wrote the very next book in the Old Testament, the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 10 and verse 10, he imparts this wisdom. He says, if your axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring Success, And I think the Amplified Bible kind of captures the gist of the verse even better. It says, if the axe is dull and you do not sharpen its edge, then you must exert more strength. But exercising wisdom to sharpen the axe helps you succeed with less effort. In other words, don't just work hard, work smart. That's what he's saying. Sharpen your skills. You know, you ought to be the best you 
that you can possibly be for God's glory. Whatever it is that you do that is your job, whatever it is that you are volunteering for, you ought to be the very best employee, the very best volunteer that you can possibly be. And sharpen your skills. Don't just be satisfied to get by. No, uh, read and study and take some courses and, and, and sharpen the axe a little bit. Throughout the years, I'm so glad that within the context of ministry in the church, there's always been a requirement every year for me to have continuing education. I know some of you in professional fields have that responsibility as well. But I have to have at least 20 or more hours of continuing education every year. This past year, I decided to really jump in. <laughs> those of you that don't know this, I am now a student again in college. Um, all my college was finished back in 1975 when I was ordained into ministry within the context of the independent Christian churches, which are where I spent 40 years of ministry before beginning to minister here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. And over the past few years as the church has grown, I have felt a responsibility. Nobody else came to me asking me this. I just felt like for integrity's sake, I need to transfer my ordination over from the Christian church context into the Nazarene church. And so this last year, I went to our district supervisor, Rob, and I said, Rob, what do I need to do to do that? And went before a board uh, for review, and they came back and they said, well, we fully accept all of your transcripts. I went, Whew. And um, they said, however, there are six classes we need you to take in order for you to move your ordination fully over into the Nazarene church. And so they gave me this list of six classes. I'm tackling those classes right now. I'm in school, and uh, I hope to finish them all this year, 2018, because in April of 2019, I am hoping to transfer at the district assembly next year uh, my ordination over fully and completely into the context of the Nazarene church. By the way, I'll be inviting you to come to that ordination service. And a couple of you have already said you're going to be there and go, woohoo! <laughs> That's fine with me. I'd love to have that when that time comes. But you know what? I'm learning a lot. I really am. I, 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 my skills are being tried. I, you know, I'm the oldest guy. I'm the oldest student in class by a long shot. In fact, at my in the class I'm in right now, the the. I actually have somebody who's closer to me in age than the first class I took. The first class I was more than twice as old as the next oldest person. This one, at least I have somebody who's in their 50s, you know. <laughs> Makes me feel like I'm not quite so old, perhaps. <laughs> uh, but you can always teach an old dog new tricks, you know what I'm saying? And the minute we start... You know, drifting with that, the minute we stop learning, the minute we stop living. We've got to keep sharpening the skills. So you want to know how to succeed at work, third, by sharpening skills. Number four, by guarding integrity. By guarding integrity. Now, with all of the character scandals that are being exposed in our society today, this timeless work ethic needs to be reinforced more than ever before. Look at what Solomon wrote about honesty and integrity in the workplace. Proverbs 14, verse 35. Kings reward servants who act wisely, but they punish those who act 
foolishly. Proverbs 16, 13. Kings take pleasure in honest lips. They value someone who speaks the truth. Proverbs 22, verse 11. Whoever loves integrity of heart and speech will have the king as a friend. Now, you understand, of course, in the context there that the king is your supervisor, your boss. We, we would put it as, you know, your employer or the person who oversees what you do and supervises and you are accountable to him or to her. You want to have them as a friend? You want to uh, have them on your side? Well, then have integrity, character. Don't listen to what this world is telling you today that character has nothing to do with leadership. That is baloney. The first and foremost qualification of someone to lead is their integrity and their character. So you want to know how to succeed at work forth by guarding integrity. And number five, by remaining steadfast. By remaining steadfast. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't quit. Somebody once said an oak tree is just a little nut that refused to give its ground. <laughs> Here's God's wisdom through Solomon on the matter. Proverbs 21-24, Work hard and you will be a leader. In other words, you will get more responsibility. You'll get the promotion. You will be rewarded for your diligence and your faithfulness and your hard work. You may think, boy, is that ever going to come? But it will. You just stay after it. And it will. Proverbs 21, verse 5. I like this one. Steady plotting brings prosperity. I like that. Simply put, in a work world where people hop from one job to another, shifting careers and moving from here to there on the whim or the promise of greater success, there is a time and a place for employee loyalty and longevity. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that changing jobs is always wrong. I'm just saying that many times more could be gained by remaining steadfast right where we are. By persevering and holding on to a job instead of giving it up so easily the first time something doesn't go our way or someone like a supervisor doesn't treat us fairly or we can't get along with this employee or that employee. As Solomon puts it, steady plotting brings prosperity. And may I say a word, by the way, to you volunteers. If you start something... Finish it. And finish it well. See it through. Don't flake out or drop out. As a pastor, I work in a volunteer-intensive environment. Think about that for a minute. You are the volunteers. And over the years, I must say that the one thing that has frustrated me probably more than anything else are people who are good starters, but they don't finish what they start. I won't say any more. You want to succeed at work, fifth, by remaining steadfast. Five practical suggestions, then, that will almost always guarantee that we succeed at what we do. Being diligent serving God, sharpening skills, guarding integrity, and remaining steadfast. Proverbs, seeking God's wisdom. Today we've been seeking God's wisdom on 
work. By the way, did you know that your work, either as an employee or a volunteer, is a big part of your Christian witness? The way that you perform or behave on the job is a powerful testimony either for or against the Lord. That's why it's so very important that we succeed as an employee or a volunteer to be salt and light to our boss, to our supervisor, our lost family member, friends, and co-workers. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about the relationship between slaves and masters, or in our culture we would say employees and employers, or if you will, volunteers and supervisors. So let's close by reading these two verses out loud together. Would you read them with me? We must not talk back nor steal, but show ourselves to be entirely trustworthy. In this way, we will make people want to believe in our Savior and God. Did you catch that? You see, the bottom line of success as an employee is not so much how much we earn or how high we climb the corporate ladder or how many credentials and accolades we may receive. No, the bottom line of success at work is that we are honoring God and thereby attracting others to Him. And so let me ask you, how attractive is your witness for Christ through your work ethic? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for teaching us again such practical things. Doesn't get much more practical than this. This is life, work. And whether we're working today as employees at a job and a career, punching a clock or whatever it may be, or whether we're working as a volunteer and we're now retired and we have free time on our hands, but we're still serving. We're still serving you. We're serving the church. We're helping out in the community. We're, we're doing things. And God, you've taught us some things about our work ethic today. Some very basic, foundational principles. And we can choose to either fail at work or to succeed at work by how we apply these principles to our lives. So I pray, God, that you would just uh, help us to not be just hearers of the Word today, but doers of the Word, and that we would be the kind of workers with our work ethic that you have asked us to be, the kind of workers, in fact, that attract those around us to you. That they too would know our Savior and our God. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.